right, welcome to show number 17 of the Excel in Retirement Show. I am David Treese, a financial advisor located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, but we have clients all over, and my goal is to distill a couple financial planning ideas that could help you excel in retirement. So we are honored and thankful that you are listening here today. We want to hear from you with questions, comments, or feedback. So you can reach me by calling 864-618-4800. If you were with us for show 15, I told you about a guy in an article I read who competes in triathlons and he's in his 80s. Well, I recently had a couple friends who were competing in a local sprint triathlon. That's the shortest distance of triathlons. It's a one and a half mile swim and a 12.4 mile bike ride, followed by a 3.1 mile run. Well, I went out to watch the race and to cheer them on, and there were all ages of people, and people who were out of shape all the way to the ultra fit types. It looked like there were some people that had done uh, numerous ones of these events and then people that were doing them for the first one first time but the interesting thing was the youngest competitor out there you'll never guess how old he was he was only seven years old and there were numerous people who looked to be well over 70 years old competing now i've never actually done a triathlon but i enjoy running well, I, I should back that up. It's not so much that I enjoy running. I enjoy it's good, the good feeling I get from it afterwards and the increased energy and uh, being fit. And if you get nothing else out of our podcast, I encourage you to take action on one of these, uh, on, on, on getting moving. Take action, get moving. Go for a walk. Make it consistent so that you can see results. Commit to it and you'll be the better for it. That's my encouragement for today. Now, when I meet with clients, I walk them through the different ways money can be invested. And I ask them if they know what a mutual fund or an ETF is, and most of the time they don't really know. Now, of course, this is nothing to be ashamed of, but for the purpose of today's show is to help folks understand how these investments work and what they are. By having this knowledge, hopefully you can make better and more informed investment decisions. That's my goal with this show. Now, for this week's topic, we're talking about the differences between exchange-traded funds, which are commonly called ETFs, and mutual funds. But before we get there, I want to talk about, lay a little bit more of foundation, talk about why this matters and give some context. A Morningstar article, which I'll link to in the show notes, gave 100 must-know statistics about 401ks, and I want to highlight a few of them. I'll read the uh, 10 of them that I thought were pertinent to our show here today. Number one, $6.4 trillion are in 401k plans as of 2019. So as of 2019, four, uh, in 401ks are $6.4 trillion. Number two, $2.7 trillion of assets are in defined contribution plans such as 403Bs. So $2.7 trillion are in 403Bs. These are 2019 numbers. Number three, there's $11 trillion of assets in IRAs, individual retirement accounts, which uh, when you're working, you might have a 401k, and then when you cease working, you could transfer your money to a self-directed IRA. So there's $11 trillion as of 2019 in IRAs. Number four, 56%. That's the percentage of all workers in a workplace retirement plan of any kind. So about a little more than half of people are participating in these 401k plans. $106,478, 106, 
is the average account balance according to Vanguard in 2019. 45% of all assets in all 401k plans are in mutual funds. So a little less than half of them are in mutual funds. 36% of all 401k assets, assets were in index funds. And we're going to talk about what all these are. At, and that's as of 2017. So 36% of uh, money in 401ks are in index funds. 74% of Vanguard plans offer a Roth 401k option in 2019. So we'll talk about that a little bit too. And uh, if you have access to a Roth 401k, let's talk about it. And I'll give you some advice about how to utilize that. 7% of all plans are in guaranteed investment contracts. And 89% of all plans have fewer than 100 participants. 89% of plans have fewer than 100 participants. So those are 10 highlights out of that list of 100. And again, you can go to the show notes to get a link to the uh, article so you can read the other 90. So if you're invested in a 401k, you may have some mutual funds or ETFs inside of there. So this content is good for you and will help educate you and uh, hopefully make you a more informed investor. Exchange traded funds are normally referred to as ETFs, as I said, and they are both pools. Both mutual funds and ETFs are pools of investments. If you've ever had a 401k or 403b at work, more than likely you were invested in a mutual fund. Let's talk about the history first. MFS Investment Management offered the first U.S. mutual fund in the year 1924. But it wasn't until 2008 that Bear Stearns rolled out the first actively managed ETF. Now, the first ETF actually came out in 1993, and it tracked an index, which I'll explain. Mutual funds are more complex than exchange-traded funds, but they can be more granular. Mutual funds can be more granular. What I mean by that is ETFs commonly track an index, like the S&P 500. What do I mean? If the S&P goes up 4%, you may make 4%. Now, we know the S&P is a group of 500 publicly traded companies. So in a sense, you are diversified, but where this could be a problem is, for example, the political climate. Let's say the political climate this year with the election causes a drawdown on the market. It could cause the S&P overall to go down. And so you would be impacted by that. There are all types of ETFs though. For example, there's an ETF that's a conglomeration of utility companies. Now, I'm in, in the upstate of South Carolina and lived in North and South Carolina most of my life. Around the Carolinas, it's common for people to hold Duke Power stock. It's a huge power company in these parts that serves many parts of the Carolinas. But what if something happened to Duke Power? Who knows? Anything could happen and their stock price could go down, right? Anytime you're in the market, you can lose money. So something could happen to Duke Power. May not be likely, but it could happen. If you held Duke inside of an ETF with, say, 10 other utility companies, you would be invested in Duke, but you'd be diversified across those nine other companies also. So if something happened to Duke, you would be less impacted. Now, you could have a utility mutual fund also, but one big difference between the two is sometimes mutual funds can have higher internal cost. Kiplinger ran an article a couple years ago with the headline, Beware of the Hidden Cost Lurking in Your Mutual Fund Account. So, a list of fees that are inside of your mutual fund account that we often don't see. 
When you buy a mutual fund, you get a big, thick prospectus in the mail that outlines these, but only a bored lawyer would want to read it. Mutual funds have the following internal cost, management or advisory, investment advisory fees. Number two, distribution fees. Number three, administrative service fees. Number four, custodian fees. Five, auditing and legal fees. Six, shareholder reporting fees. Seven, registration statement and prospective filing fees. And so these are the internal costs that Kiplinger was warning about inside that article. Also from Kiplinger, in, inside that same article, which I'll link to in the show notes, is about 12B1 fees. This is the common fee that you hear about with mutual funds. And this is a direct quote. These fees are used to reward intermediaries for promoting a fund. In other words, it's a commission. Be aware, a fee-only registered investment advisor cannot receive one of these commissions and is not incentivized to sell these products to unwitting clients. An advisor who is not obligated to act as a fiduciary can sell these products loaded with extra fees. In case you're wondering, higher 12B1 fees do not improve the performance. This is still from the article. More on fees and performance later. These fees average around 0.13%. So if you purchase a $10,000 mutual fund with a 12B1 fee, that translates to $13 per year. This yearly charge can be distributed to the broker who sold the fund. That's the end of the quote. Of course, with our investment business, we are fee only meaning I am not and our firm is not incentivized to help you with certain mutual funds because of the 12B1 fee. This is something good to find out about your financial advisor, whether they do make a commission from 12B1 fees. Other considerations are the loads that mutual funds have. There are typically four types of mutual funds. Class A, which is a single charge when the mutual fund is bought. Class B charges you a back-end fee when you sell the mutual fund in class C are sometimes called level loads and they charge you a fixed fee throughout the year. Then there are no load mutual funds that don't charge you any of these fees, but that's not to say you're not charged those other fees, those other fees that I listed in the row a little bit ago. Uh, you will be charged those typically. So if you bought class A, let's say you bought class A mutual fund, you had $100,000 and you put it in a class A mutual fund, You'd kind of be incentivized to buy a Class A mutual fund if you thought you were going to hold that for a while and it was going to appreciate. Maybe say it, it doubles to 200000 You would not have to pay a fee on that when you sold the mutual fund. If you're cur curious how much you are paying on your mutual funds, we'll run a complimentary report for you for your account. And we'll show you exactly how much you're paying internally for your mutual funds or any type of securities product you have. Now, another point of difference between an ETF and a mutual fund is ETFs are actively traded throughout the day and mutual funds are not. What does this mean? If you called me as your advisor at 11 a.m. and said, I want to sell my mutual fund, your order would be placed, but it would not be fulfilled until the market closes that day. Whereas if you called me at 11 a.m. and said, I want to sell my ETF, the order would be placed and fulfilled as soon as the buyer was found, which is typically pretty quickly. So it's actively traded right then. So you could trade in and out of an ETF throughout the day. You can't do this with a mutual fund. So it's more common to see tactical ETFs than a tactical mutual fund. 
In fact, I don't know of any tactical mutual funds. Tactical often means it's actively traded, and if something were to happen in the market, you could get out of that position normally pretty quickly. Whereas with a mutual fund, if some event happened during the trading day to cause the market to go down, you would have to wait until the market closes to get out of that position. So there's a little nuance there. Think about this. What if somebody came up to you and said, what's better, a 4x4 Ford F-150 or a four-door Toyota Camry sedan? They're two different vehicles, right? And they're designed for two different purposes. Now, they may have some overlap in functionality, but they don't really compare. They're not apples to apples, right? The situation is this. One is not right or wrong. The, the F-150 is not necessarily right or wrong, and the Camry isn't right or wrong. They both can be appropriate given the situation. If I need to haul something, I'd want the F-150. But if I want to take my family somewhere in a comfortable ride, I might want the Camry, right? The purpose here is to educate you and help you understand how your money is invested. So ETFs track indexes often, but mutual funds can be more granular. For example, I pulled a spec sheet on what's called a balanced mutual fund. And we'll come back to the different names in a bit, but this balanced mutual fund has 23 U.S. large stocks, 7% of it's in U.S. small stock, 10% is in international large stock, 5% is in emerging market stock, 6% is in real estate, 4% is in commodities, and about 45% is in two different bond funds. So you see the difference is often more specific than ETFs get, but there is more of an internal cost as we discussed earlier for this. There's a manager or maybe managers who pick these holdings and take parts out or holdings out and put in new ones when they're underperforming. So this is a brief summary of some of the differences between mutual funds and ETFs, but this is by no means exhaustive. And there's also uh, different types of mutual funds that we were talking about. There's balanced mutual funds, and there's aggressive growth mutual funds. There's, there's uh, conservative mutual funds. There's all different kinds. And, uh, and typically, uh, the advisor, like we do, we have a test or a summary that uh, we ask you a few questions that will help us determine which is appropriate for you uh, when you're invested. And it can often mean uh, what your t risk tolerance is. And so that's, uh, that's how the different mutual funds and maybe even the different ETFs are used. Now, I want to leave you with a warning. From our stats about qualified plans, you recall earlier, there's quite a bit of money, about $20 trillion in qualified plans, tax-deferred accounts. Qualified plans mean they're qualified to be taxed. That's how I remember what they are. These are 401ks and 403bs and IRAs. There's some $20 trillion, right, in qualified plans. And the government this year has spent $6 trillion in this fiscal year uh, for the first time ever. The fiscal year ends in about two weeks, and the government has taxed or brought in about $3 trillion at this point. So they're about $3 trillion short. $3 trillion short. Do I believe the sky is falling and we're all doomed? No, not necessarily, but we sure have some problems, don't we? Nobody knows how this situation will play out, but we're about $27 trillion in debt, and it's likely to continue going up quite a bit, no matter who gets elected. But we can make decisions right now with the info we have. 
We know what's going on right now, and we can make decisions with the information we have. That's all we can do, right? So you may have money in a qualified account. You probably do if you're listening to this podcast. This warning should serve as a red flag, really. We are entering a rising tax rate environment. I truly believe that. And you have time now to position your assets in such a way as to be able to shield them from higher taxes in the future. And we've talked at length about this in episodes four, six, seven, and nine, and we touched on it in others. And so go back and listen to those if you want more context for why this matters. We can put together a strategy now to begin shifting your assets to tax-free vehicles so when or if taxes do go up, you will have already taken care of some of the taxes. And we can run a report based on your beliefs about taxes, whether you believe taxes will go up 10, 20, or maybe you believe they'll go up more, and what you're projected to pay over your lifetime. Now, we know that President Trump, along with Congress in 2017, lowered taxes to really historic lows. And we know that those tax breaks sunset in 2026. We have a window of opportunity right now to position yourself to be better in a better place. And let's say you never plan to touch your money. Let's say you have plenty of Social Security money. Maybe you have plenty of pension money. Maybe you have plenty of rental income. If you're going to leave your tax-deferred accounts to your beneficiaries, your children, or whoever it may be, you're leaving them with a tax mess if all of your assets, all of your liquid assets, are in tax-deferred accounts. I truly believe that. You could do them a great service by helping put together a strategy to pay some of those taxes now. Because we know with the SECURE Act that was passed this year in 2020 that when someone inherits a a tax-deferred account, they used to be able to stretch those payments out over their lifetime, but they can no longer do that. That money has to be out of the accounts and taxed within 10 years after the, the original owner passes away. And so that money will get tacked on top of whatever the beneficiary's income is in that given year and be taxed accordingly. And so you would be doing your beneficiaries a great service and an act of love, quite frankly, to help them by paying some taxes today. We're not talking about paying at all and jacking your taxes or doubling your tax rates today. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an educated, precise plan that we can put together to help you help yourself, really. If all of your money is in tax-deferred accounts, we can't talk soon enough. Give me a call at 864-618-4800. And I truly appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next week. I hope you have a great day. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. AE Wealth Management and Clients Excel are not affiliated companies. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet particular needs of an individual situation. Clients Excel is not permitted to offer and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. 
Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Clients Excel. The use of logos and or trademarks of podcast hosting sites are the property of their respective owners and are not an endorsement by those owners of our firm or our program.